0: Luke chapter 24 beginning at verse 36. Let's read the word of the Lord together. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and ate it before them. Now, Lord, our hearts are filled with gratitude today. We of all people have reason to celebrate, for we do not serve a dead God, we serve a living Savior. Thank you for the presence of that living Lord that we have been able to sense as we worshiped you together. Now I ask you to open our hearts that we may hear and receive the word of the Lord. I pray that you give me clarity of thought and of speech. Give me utterance to proclaim your truth today. And above all, I pray that you give us ears to hear not so much what I'm going to say, but ears to hear what the Spirit is going to say in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches to you. And I pray blessing upon those fellowships. And I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I pray especially for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. I ask you to draw them back to you. Don't let one of them be lost. Thank you for hearing our prayer. Prayer that we pray in the only name that matters. Matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. A few years ago, I came home to the house that my wife and I had purchased just a short time before, and I found. Taped to the front door a handwritten note. It was more done like a poster. It looked like it was written by a young person. And the poster was about a missing cat. The note began Have you seen a small, gray, very sweet cat? <laughs> Seriously? Can you believe they used the words sweet and cat in the same sentence? (laughs) Now, those of you that are cat lovers, do not send me any hate emails this week. (laughs) Not going to read them. I don't care. Poster said, sex female, name Frosty. I mean, as if any cat ever came in response to her name. You know, (laughs) just doesn't happen. The owner went on to give a phone number and an address so I could contact her if I should see what is obviously a beloved pet. When I saw that note, it reminded me of the poster I saw one time about a lost dog. You may have seen this poster. The poster said, lost dog, three legs, blind in one eye, missing right ear, tail broken, recently castrated, answers to the name of Lucky. (laughs) You just got to wonder about some things, you know. (laughs) Occasionally, I'll be driving down the interstate and see a silver alert notice on one of the information signs over the highway. Have you seen those? It gives the make and the color of an automobile and a tag number of a vehicle for which they want you to be on the lookout. When a crime is committed, police will often put out a bulletin with a description of the suspect. This description may include the height of the suspect, the the ethnicity, the type or color of a particular article of clothing he or she is wearing, color and length of hair, if there are any visible distinguishing marks like scars or birthmarks or tattoos. There are lots of ways to identify someone the way they look, the way they talk, their mannerisms. Sometimes if you haven't seen somebody for a long time, that person isn't immediately recognized because he or she has changed. Maybe he grew a beard or, or maybe he shaved. Maybe she cut her hair or changed its color. Maybe they just got old and wrinkled while you, of course, look exactly like you did 15 years ago. Sometimes you don't immediately recognize someone because you see him or her in a place you weren't expecting. This is what happened with the disciples following the the resurrection of Jesus. The last time they saw him, he was disfigured from having chunks of his beard ripped from his face. The last time they saw him, his brow was bloodied from the crown of thorns upon his head. The last time they saw him, his back was lacerated from the vicious beating he endured from the cat-o'-nine-tails whip. The last time they saw him, he was writhing in agony, his hands and feet nailed to a cross, planted on top of a garbage heap, his body suspended between heaven and earth. The last time they saw him, he was wrapped in strips of linen cloth laid in a borrowed tomb with a great stone sealing the entrance. This was the image that forced them into hiding and drove them to despair. This was the image they couldn't get out of their minds. This was the image that haunted their dreams. Several of them were huddled together in a room, grieving their loss. When some of the women of their group suddenly burst into the room Early that morning, breathlessly exclaiming, we have seen the Lord. Peter and John raced to the burial site where they discovered the stone rolled away and the tomb empty, not really empty, there were grave clothes neatly folded on the stone slab, but the body that had wrapped was no longer there. Later that evening, gathered in that upper room, it seemed everybody was talking at once. There was Peter and John admitting they had examined the tomb and the body of Jesus was not there. There was Mary adamantly claiming, I have seen the Lord. And just then, there was a knock on the door. Looking out, they saw Mr. and Mrs. Cleopas. As soon as they were admitted, they told their story about walking home from Jerusalem to Emmaus and being joined by a man who asked why they were so despondent. Unable to contain their grief, they just unloaded on this stranger. They told him all about their hopes that Jesus was the Messiah, but he had been executed and now their dreams were shattered. Then they said the most remarkable thing happened. This stranger started way back in the first book of Moses and took us on a a study through the scriptures, explaining how they all pointed to Jesus as the promised hope of Israel. They said about the time he was finished, we were at our home and, and he appeared to be going on. We persuaded him to come in for the evening and soon sat down to a simple meal. This man took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. Suddenly our eyes were opened and we recognized him. This was just what it looked like that day on the hillside when 5,000 men were fed with five loaves and two fish. This was Jesus. And no sooner did we recognize him than he vanished. Well, as tired as we were from walking all day, we felt like we just had to come back and tell you, Jesus is alive. We have seen him with our own eyes. Jesus is alive. Now, Luke doesn't really tell us this, but when you read the story in the Gospel of Mark, he says in verse 11 that the disciples refused to believe the testimony of Mary. He also says in verse 13 that when the couple from Emmaus gave their report, they did not believe them either. Perplexed, anxious, confused, uncertain, wanting to believe, wanting to hope, but that last image burned into their mind of the mangled body of their friend was hard to shake. Suddenly, in the middle of the room, there stood Jesus. The disciples were startled and frightened. They thought they were seeing a ghost. I mean, he looked like Jesus. When he spoke, he sounded like Jesus. I mean, it's, Is it really you, Jesus? How can I be certain this is you? In response, Jesus showed them his scars. I want to tell you that the greatest evidence Jesus rose from the dead was not an empty tomb or the grave clothes folded neatly where the body of Jesus once laid, The greatest evidence that Jesus is alive is the multiplied eyewitness accounts of a living Lord given over some 40 days after the resurrection. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there were over 500 people who encountered this same Jesus over a 40-day period after his resurrection. Jesus walked into that room of terrified disciples, too awestruck to even speak to the man who stood before them, and he changed the atmosphere when he declared, look at my hands, look at my feet, look at my scars. Have you ever wondered why Jesus kept the scars? I mean, Jesus is the mighty healer. He's the man who opened blind eyes, unstopped deaf ears, caused the lame to walk, cleansed and restored the leper. This is the man who had defeated death itself, the man over whom the grave has no power. Surely, he didn't have to keep the scars. He could have forever healed them as if they never existed. Instead, he chose to keep the scars. Jesus chose to keep the scars because those scars proclaim a message on this Resurrection Sunday. First of all, I would tell you those scars proclaim the identity of the person. If all you have is an empty tomb, that's easily explained. Uh, We made a mistake. We went to the wrong location. Or somebody stole the body. If all you have are folded grave clothes, well, somebody unwrapped the body, moved it, and left the linen wrappings. But here is a man standing in our midst. I know he looks like Jesus. I know he sounds like Jesus. I know he acts like Jesus. But how do I really know this is my Jesus, the same Jesus? I'll tell you how. Look at his scars. Those scars tell you it's the same Lord they had walked and talked with. Those scars tell you it's the same Lord they had learned from. Those scars tell you it is the same Lord that was nailed to a cross on Golgotha's hill. See those scars on his brow? That's from the crown of thorns. See the nail prints in his hands and his feet? That's from the spikes that secured him to a rugged cross. See the stripes on his back? That's where the flesh was beaten and stripped away until his internal organs were exposed. See that scar in his side? That's a distinct mark. All the others who were crucified that day had their legs broken. But this scar is from where a soldier stabbed him with his spear and blood and water flowed out, letting everyone know, Jesus. Jesus was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. The Old Testament prophets told us to identify the promised Messiah by his scars. That's what it means in Psalm 22 and 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. That's what it means in Psalm 22 and 16. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. This is what it means in Psalm 129 and 3. The plowers plowed upon my back. They lengthened their furrows. That's what it means in Isaiah 52 and 14. Just as many were... Astonished at you, my people. So his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. That's what it means in Zechariah 13 and 6. And one will say to him, what are these wounds between your arms? Then he will say, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. I'm telling you, this man isn't a descendant of Jesus. This man isn't an imposter Jesus. This man isn't a pretend Jesus. This is Jesus, the real Jesus, the same Jesus who opened blind eyes, made lame to walk, spoke to the dead and the grave gave them up. The one who climbed Golgotha's hill and gave up his life for the redemption of humanity. He's alive, I tell you. I recognize him by his scars. You know, down through the ages, there have been countless people claiming to be the Messiah of God. Judas of Galilee, Thutis, Simon Bar Kokhba, Menahem Ben Judah, Mordecai Mochiak, Jacob Querido, Judah Ben Shalom, Menachem Mendel Schneerson, Henry Cristo of Brazil, Viserion of Siberia, David Shaler of England, Alan John Miller of Australia, Bupete Chibwe Chishimba of Zambia. Matayoshi Mitsuo of Tokyo. Ever hear of any of those guys? They all belong on the same list with Jesus, simply because they all, along with a list about three times that long, share this in common. They claim to be the Messiah of Israel. There's even Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda. His thousands of followers call him Daddy. He has the number 666 tattooed on his arm. This guy does not merely pray to God, he says he is God. The spirit that is in me is the same spirit that was in Jesus of Nazareth, the Jesus says. Every one of these guys and many more claim to be the Messiah. What I want to know is where is the evidence you bore my sins on the cross and then conquered death in the grave to secure my pardon? Bring anybody up here you want to. Let him claim to be the Messiah. What I want to know is where are the scars? You show me the scars. You show me the scars. That's how I'll know you're my Messiah. The scars tell the identity of the person. Then I want you to see the scars tell of the invincibility of the power. I didn't come to this pulpit today to introduce you to a religion. I didn't come to introduce you to a church. I came to introduce you to a man. It's the same Jesus that stepped from that tomb on that glorious resurrection morning. I want to tell you, his scars are not the scars of defeat. They're the scars of the victor. His scars declare the price of redemption is fully paid. His scars declare death loses, life wins. Oh, his wounds were indeed fatal. But walking around with those scars lets me know that death does not have the final word. God does. I need to say that one more time for all the people in the back that it didn't quite get to. Death does not have the final word, God does. I I think I just want to say it one more time to this side. Death does not have the final word, God does. The prophet talked about the victorious power that is witnessed by the scars of the resurrected Savior, When he wrote in Isaiah 53 and 5, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. The scars on his head from the crown of thorns are a proclamation that price was paid for sin in the area of your will. Those head scars testify that he paid the price For the sin of trying to exalt yourself and go your own way. He paid the price for those times when your thoughts turned to putting other gods in front of him. The fact that he is alive, walking around with those scars, not only says your sin in that area can be forgiven, it also says you don't have to be bound in that area of weakness any longer. Through his resurrection, you have the power to live the overcoming life. Through his resurrection, you have the power to live the transformed life. Through his resurrection, you have the power to live a life filled with meaning and purpose. The scars in his hands testify that the price was paid for sin in the area of your work. His death redeems your work. His death pays the price for both the sins of commission and the sins of omission. At the same time, walking around with those scars in his hands testifies that you now have the power to do right instead of wrong. You have the power to perform deeds of righteousness instead of evil. His resurrection power gives you the ability to serve others with gladness and gratitude. Scars from the nails in his feet testify that the price was paid for sin in your walk. Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's our walk away from God. But then the prophet continues and says, but the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all upon him. That's what's represented by the scars in his feet. Price paid for your iniquity. Redemption accomplished for turning away from him. A path open for you to return to the father's house. Because Jesus lives with scars of redemption in his feet, it means his resurrection power is available to you right now, this very day, to help you walk in godliness and holiness and truth. His power is at work to help you walk by the Spirit instead of fulfilling the desires of the flesh. His overcoming resurrection power is active to give you the ability to walk on top of your circumstances instead of being buried beneath them. (laughs) When the storms of life seek to overwhelm you, his resurrection power enables you to walk on the waves. I'm telling you, you're not going under. You're going over when you live in the resurrection power of Jesus. And there's a scar in his side from a wound inflicted when the Roman soldier pierced it with a spear. The Bible says that from that wound came blood and water. That tells us is literally that Jesus died from a broken heart, broken by the misery experienced because of humanity's sin. <clears throat> Understand something today. It's prob- this is probably going to mess with some of you, so just prepared to be messed with a little bit. All right. Sin isn't defined by certain behaviors. Those behaviors are merely the evidence of sin. Sin is when you embrace and accept an identity that is contrary to the image of God that he has placed within you. Sin is when you agree with an image of yourself that is different from what God says about you. Sin is when you pursue a path that leads you away from the path God has laid out for you... That is in your best interest the scar in his side testifies that the price was paid for sin as it relates to your worth sin has marred the divine image sin has beaten you down sin has caused you to believe the lie of the enemy that you are worthless that you'll never amount to anything that you can never be any different I want to tell you, Jesus died to redeem your worth. Jesus gave his life to demonstrate the value he places upon you. Jesus died to cancel the lie of the enemy. Jesus died to break the bondage of deceit. Jesus lives with a scar in his side to remind you that through his resurrection power, you can live free from sin. Through his resurrection power, you can walk with confidence. Through his resurrection power, you are accepted. Through his resurrection power, your worth is not determined by what you do. It is determined by who you are and more importantly, by whose you are. scars on his head testify a victorious power in your will the scars in his hands testify a victorious power in your work the scars in his feet testify a victorious power in your walk the scar in his side testifies a victorious power in your worth and then there are scars on his back and they testify that the price was paid to make you whole the prophet proclaimed in isaiah 53 and 5 By his scourging, we are healed. Those scars on the back of Jesus, they give witness that he has paid the price for your healing. Physical healing of illness and disease. Emotional healing of trauma and abuse and neglect. Healing of relationships. Mental health healing in every area where you hurt. Body, mind, soul, spirit. Every place of brokenness that is part of the curse that came about as a result of the fall, Jesus paid the price to cancel the curse. He purchased healing with the stripes on his back. His resurrection gives witness to the truth that there is no brokenness over which he does not rule. His resurrection says there is a balm in Gilead. His resurrection says, the same Jesus who cleansed lepers and made lame to walk and blind to see and deaf to hear and mute to speak, this same Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His resurrection says, you can be made whole. The scars of Jesus proclaim the identity of the person. They proclaim the invincibility of the power. I have one more for you if you're ready. I want you to know they proclaim the immutability of the promise. Immutable is just a fancy word that means not capable of or susceptible to change. Those scars on the body of Jesus declare in unmistakable clarity I keep my promise. when the skies are rolled back like a scroll, when the earth has melted with a fervent heat, when time shall cease to exist throughout all the endless ages of eternity, the scars on the body of Jesus will remain as a permanent testimony that the promises of Jesus are sure and certain. They will never change, they will never be replaced, they will never be superseded. The promise of the resurrection is the promise, first of all, of new life. That's what Jesus was talking about in John 14, 19 when he said, after a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. That's the meaning of 1 John 4 and 9. By this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. The meaning of 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Maybe your life is messed up. Maybe nothing has turned out the way you thought it would. The promise of the resurrection is that you can trade in your old life of defeat and disappointment for a brand new life filled with promise and possibilities. Not only is the promise of the resurrection new life, it's also new beginnings. You know, that's what we see happening with these disciples gathered in the upper room in our text from Luke chapter 24. When the resurrected Jesus appeared to them and showed them his scars, there was a transformation that took place. First of all, he turned panic into peace. His first words to them in verse 36 were, peace be to you when they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a ghost he showed them his scars it seemed too good to be true and verse 41 says they had trouble believing because of their joy and amazement you know that's a common reaction when people embrace the resurrected Jesus this new beginning he gives seems too good to be true but it is I tell you it is the promise of the resurrection is John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give unto you, let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. The promise of the resurrection is John 16 and 33, these things I have spoken unto you so that in me you may have peace. In this world you have tribulation. Can I get a witness from anybody that says that's true? In this world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world not only does he turn panic into peace he turns confusion into clarity those disciples were troubled they were confused they were unable to comprehend what was going on until Jesus showed them his scars and suddenly they recognized him for who he really was I'm telling you today that when you embrace the resurrected Jesus he'll turn your confusion into clarity Things you didn't understand before suddenly will start to make sense. Not only that, but you suddenly discover that some things you don't, there are some things you don't need to understand. Sometimes we think, oh, if I could just understand, if I could just make sense out of it, it wouldn't change a thing. There are some things you don't need to understand because there's a faith and there's a confidence and there's a trust that fills your heart and you can simply rest in the relationship you have with Him. The promise of the resurrection is Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things, not just a few things, not just the things that you can figure out on your own. God causes all things to work together for good to those who are loved, who love the Lord and those who are called according to his purpose. The promise of the resurrection is 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 and 9. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. I like the way J.B. Phillips translates that last phrase. He says, we may be knocked down, but we are never knocked out. Jesus turns panic into peace. He turns confusion into clarity. And he turns pointlessness into purpose. You know, before the appearance of Jesus in that upper room, the disciples had no idea what they were going to do next. There was no sense of direction for their lives. But after Jesus showed them his scars, then he commissioned them to carry the good news and the power of the Spirit. And I want to tell you, this is the difference the resurrected Jesus can make in your life. He'll give you purpose, a reason for living, a path to follow. A sense of fulfillment and deep satisfaction you can't find anywhere else. Oh, you can try. You can look a lot of different places. And people do. People try the craziest things, thinking that's going to fill the empty void. But you won't find it anywhere else until you come to Jesus. The promise of the resurrection is Philippians 1 and 21. For to me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. The promise of the resurrection is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. The immutable promise of the resurrection is new life. It's new beginnings. Last thing I want to tell you is that it's new hope. The scars on the body of the resurrected Jesus proclaim this powerful truth. Your past doesn't determine your future. You you. You can't change your past. Why don't you just look at your neighbor and say, you know, that's really true. He he finally said something I agree with. (laughs) You can't change your past. You may even carry some scars from your past. By the grace of God and the power of the resurrected Jesus, your past does not determine your future. Through Jesus, there is hope. Hope for a brighter tomorrow. Hope for a better tomorrow. Hope for a bigger tomorrow. Let me me finish finish the message by telling you this. People always love it when I close my Bible and say I'm going to finish the message. I get some of the best reactions when I do that. Big smiles come on people's faces. I've thought about doing that like, you know, 10 minutes into the message just because I like to see how you smile when I do that. I haven't been preaching this message today just to give you information and increase your knowledge. Instead, I've been proclaiming truth to you today. Knowledge is educational. Truth is transformational. There are a lot of people who believe the facts that there was a man named Jesus who lived, was crucified, was buried, rose from the dead. But just believing the facts will not make any difference whatsoever in your life. Either now or in eternity. The knowledge becomes truth only when you embrace it for your life. The resurrected Jesus is only an historical figure until you surrender the control of your life to him. And none of what I've been preaching about works until you make the choice to follow him serve Him, obey Him, and live for Him. Then and only then does the power of the resurrected life of Jesus make a difference in your life. Then and only then can you receive His power and live the abundant, overcoming life He has designed for you. Today the Lord Jesus is standing with nail-scarred hands outstretched inviting you to surrender your life to Him. Trust in Him for today in all of your tomorrows, turn to him in faith and receive his resurrection power. Maybe you once walked in close fellowship with him, but you've just drifted away. You've wandered away. Listen to what God has to say to somebody who has wandered away. It's in Isaiah 54, verse 7. The Lord says to you, with deep love, I will welcome you back. Nobody will ever love you as much as Jesus. Nobody. Scars on his body testify to his deep love for you. You matter to God. Regardless of why you think you came in here today, I'll tell you why. He brought you here to tell you that. You matter to him. What he's looking for is more than just an acknowledgement of facts or or even praying of a prayer of repentance, he's looking for a life lived in submission and obedience to his will. The day you surrender your life to the resurrected Jesus, that is the day his resurrection power will transform your life and you will begin the most incredible journey you could ever imagine. Jesus, I've proclaimed your truth the best I know how to do it today. But at the end of the day, I know that it isn't about my words of persuasion. It's about the work of your Spirit. So right now, I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you will touch hearts, make up for all of my inadequacies, touch your people today and draw people who are away from you. Draw them back to you. Oh Lord, I pray that your spirit will be so compelling it will be irresistible love and grace that you extend to your people today. We will turn our lives and surrender to you. While our heads are bowed for just a moment, I wonder if there's someone that would respond to this message by saying, Pastor, I'm one of those ones you've been talking about. I've been kind of wandering away, but I want to return today. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. There's some people here today and you need to recommit your life to him. If that's you, I want to pray for you. I promise you I will not call you out. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to publicly identify you, but I do want to pray for you. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I want to pray that prayer. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Maybe you're coming back to him. Maybe this is the very first time you're praying this kind of a prayer. But either way, would you just let me have a signal that you're praying with me by putting your hand up and then putting it right back down so I know who you are, so I know who I'm praying for today. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. You can put it right back down. Anybody else? Thank you. Anyone else? Will you surrender to the voice of Jesus today calling you? Father, thank you for these people. And thank you for the courage that these people have had to identify themselves as those who are surrendering to you. So now that's what we do. We're not asking for a sign. We're not asking for a feeling. We're just asking that your word that we believe is true will now be applied to our hearts and we pray oh Lord come into our heart cleanse us receive us as you've promised to do and we say to you we surrender to you now Lord Jesus we give ourselves to you without reservation come into our heart now and we thank you for hearing our prayer Lord, I'm praying not only for those who lifted their hand, but I'm also praying for those that for whatever reason didn't feel comfortable lifting their hand, but in their heart they're praying that prayer right now. I pray that you will hear the cry of their heart as well. Thank you, Lord Jesus. If you prayed that prayer or one like that with me, and you said, today I've surrendered my life to Jesus, in the back of the seat in front of you, you'll find a blue card. looks like this, and it'll say on there, I have decided to follow Jesus. If you'll take that card out, and it'll ask for a little bit of contact information, ask you to check you've decided to follow Jesus. You'll take that card to the information desk in the lobby on your way out they'll take that card from you and they'll exchange it for a book that we've prepared to help get you started in your walk with the Lord we'll pray with you if if you we'll touch base with you if you have any questions we'll try to answer those we'll do everything we can to walk with you in these first steps walking with Jesus you're going to discover that it's not the end of all your problems but you will discover that it is the beginning of having somebody to walk with you through every trial and bring you through in triumph. Hey, thanks for coming today. I'm so glad you came. Would you stand, please? Take me to the key of G, Pastor Larry, because I want us to sing. Because he lives,
1: I can face tomorrow. time, be
0: Praise God.